Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. It is good, good to be with you. If we haven't had the chance maybe to meet yet, uh, my name is John. I am one of the pastors here. And I wanted to tell you that um, growing up, I had, I don't know if anyone else had a friend like this, or maybe you grew up in a family like this, but I had a friend growing up whose family was a board game family. Anyone's family, like a board game family? Okay, good. And when I say that, I don't mean that these people played a lot of Candyland. Okay, I don't mean that they played a game of trouble every now and then. These were hardcore game theory nerd people, okay? These are the type of people that taught their second graders how to play Risk. That, this is the type of people I'm talking about. And, and I have a ton of memories of playing so many games at their house growing up. But one game that was always forbidden in their family, like one game we were never allowed to play, we weren't even really allowed to talk about it, was Monopoly. Do we have any Monopoly players in the room here? Yeah, there's so few of you because most people kill each other after playing this game. I don't know if you've ever played Monopoly, but if you have, you know, it can get a little intense sometimes. Last time I played Monopoly, I almost got in a fist fight with an 11 year old. And I was not 11 at the time. It was last week. And the, the, the reason that I think this game can, can ruin friendships and tear apart families is because of the whole conceit of the game. Like the whole point of the game, if you've played it before, you know, the whole point is you try and buy, buy or acquire as much property as possible so that you can charge ever-increasing rent to your other players until you eventually bankrupt them, and that's how you win. If ever there was a game for America, it is Monopoly. Believe me, Monopoly, it is a no-joke, cutthroat, high-stakes, winner-take-all board game experience. But despite its kind of dark and merciless nature, Monopoly has remained one of the most popular board games in the U.S. for decades. And in a recent article about the game, author John Green writes about why. He says that Monopoly is so popular, quote, because its problems are our problems. Like life, Monopoly unfolds very slowly at first, then becomes distressingly fast at the end. Like life, people find meaning in its outcomes, even though the game is rigged towards the rich and privileged. And, like life, your friends get mad if you take their money. And then, no matter how rich you are, there's an ever-expanding void inside of you that money can never fill. But, gripped by the madness of unregulated enterprise, you nonetheless believe that if you just get a couple more hotels or take from your friends their few remaining dollars, you will, at last, feel complete. Isn't that the encouragement you needed coming into church today? And as verbose as he may be, I actually think Green is hitting on something really, really profound here. That part of the reason that games like Monopoly are so popular is because of this kind of human desire, or I might even say human obsession, with getting more. This is an idea, if you think about it, that so many of our modern norms or activities are built on this idea, right? You go on Amazon so you can get more stuff. You post on Instagram so you can get more followers. You download the dating app so you can get more people interested in you. 
whether you want those people interested in you or not, up for debate. But it's all about getting more. This desire to accumulate, it exists in pretty much every area of our culture, every area of our lives. But I think this desire for getting more is especially present when it comes to our relationship with money. A quick Google search for books on finance will reveal this. It will reveal titles like the classic Think and Grow Rich or books like Millionaire by 30, The Quickest Path to Early Financial Independence by Three Guys with the Last Name Andrew. (laughs) Or my favorite title that I found this week, How to Scam and Make Lots of Money. That is a real book that you can buy on Amazon today. The author's name, just one word, Hustle. I'm not kidding, look it up. And I think what these titles kind of reveal is that in our world, especially within the U.S., the, the common and sort of unquestioned wisdom around money is it's all about getting as much as you can. Like, that's the American capitalistic financial education in one sentence. And, and hear me, I don't mean to stand up here and, you know, propose that all of us here are just greedy, money-hungry people. In fact, I, I know that is not true of the people of Soul City. But if I'm completely honest, when I do kind of a, 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 a mental look at some of my own thoughts around money, which I did this week, I was surprised and humbled by how many of those thoughts surround getting more of it. Oftentimes for me, it's because I feel like money is getting really, really tight. And so I just start to obsess, like, how could I get more? How could I make more? How could I save more? What am I going to do? Or often other times it's because I get caught in the comparison game where it seems like others seem to get or have more than I do and that feels wrong or unjust to me. And again, I don't think I'm Scrooge McDuck. Like I'm not a, you know inherently greedy person, but even me, like if I'm not careful, I can get caught up in that cultural obsession with how do I get more? How do I get more for me? And so the question that I kind of want us to wrestle with today and the thing that I want us to consider is what does a life of getting really get me? Like, if, if our relationship with money is really only about how much I can get, what does all of that accumulating actually accomplish in my life? Or to use financial terms, for those of you who work in the finance world, what is the return on a life invested purely in getting more for yourself? Or to use Bible terms for someone like me, what is the fruit Like, what is the outcome of a financial life with that kind of outlook? And that is actually what we are going to look toward the Bible to see today. Because I don't know if you realize this, but uh, the Bible actually talks a lot about money. And we are going to look at a lot of those examples today. So if you want to grab a Bible, you can, but you're going to have to flip fast, believe me. Because this conversation, the topic of wealth and specifically the effect that wealth has on the human soul, that is a conversation that doesn't just happen in one passage that I could teach you really quickly. But this is a conversation that is actually happening all throughout the scriptures by all the different biblical authors. For example, in the Old Testament, Proverbs 11.28 says very simply, those who trust in their riches will fall. The Apostle Paul kind of picks up on this in the New Testament where he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the love of money 
is the root of all kinds of evil. Jesus himself often taught and talked about wealth when he said things like, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit or lose their soul? Or his famous teaching, it is hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. It's hard for a rich person, in other words, to enter into life with God. Then he said, it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And it's not just these individual sayings either. It's not just individual teachings, but all throughout the Bible, we find stories. We find lifelong examples. Stories like the story of Pharaoh, the story of Solomon, the story of so many of the kings of Israel where we get to watch as the accumulation of wealth leads to the deterioration of the soul. In other words, according to the Bible, it really is like the great psalmist Biggie once said, mo money, mo problems. And let's be really clear. The Bible is not saying that money itself is bad or evil. That's not what the Bible is saying. I don't even think it's saying that it's necessarily bad or inherently evil to want money. Let's face it, we need money. We need it to exist within our world. But what I think the biblical authors are understanding is the thing that we talked about earlier, that it is just so easy for money, and specifically the accumulation of it, this idea of getting more money, it's so easy for that to become the main thing in our lives. It's just so easy for that to become the main pursuit. It's so easy for money to become my God rather than God being my God, which once again is why Jesus said in Matthew 6, you cannot serve two masters. You will either love one, hate the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't have two gods. And again, let me be really clear because I've heard too many sermons that just stood up there and demonized wealth or demonized money. That is not what the Bible is doing. This is not a sermon, let me be clear. This is not a sermon meant to make you feel guilty about the fact that you bought something nice for yourself last week. That is not my intention at all because what you also need to know is there is a whole flip side to this coin. That's a dad joke. Okay, there's a flip side to this coin with how the Bible talks about money. Because just as there are plenty of examples of wealth having a negative effect on the human soul, there are also tons of verses and stories in the Bible, like Proverbs eleven twenty four, which says one person gives freely, yet gains even more. This is a verse, whether you realize it or not, that is about wealth. It's about resources. The very next verse says this, a generous person will prosper. There's also stories from the life of Jesus. You might be familiar with the story of the widow's offering, where a poor widow gave a little bit, but it was all she had. And Jesus blessed her faith, blessed her generosity. You might be familiar with the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. This is one of the most incredible miracles recorded in all of the gospel. Jesus, he feeds thousands of people, but if you remember, it all started with one boy who had a lunch. Five loaves, two fish, and he gave the little that he had. And through his generosity, Jesus blessed thousands of people. I mean, if you think about it, the very beginning of the Bible, it tells the story of a God 
who creates this beautiful, lush, flourishing, rich creation. And then the next thing that that God does, that God generously shares it or gives it to us, to humans. And says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. You see, if you actually zoom out, the Bible doesn't really take a stance on money itself one way or another. But the Bible is very clear that how we think about our money or what we choose to do with our resources, that has a significant effect on our souls. That has a significant effect on our spiritual, emotional transformation and development. And the simplest way that I can think of to kind of sum it up is that a biblical worldview when it comes to wealth is this. A life of getting takes life, but a life of giving gives life. Hear me, every story that I can find in the Bible Every teaching that I come across that features a life that is all about getting as much as I can, every single one of those stories ends negatively. Every single one of those stories ends with life or goodness or connection or beauty or flourishing being drained or taken out of me, out of others, and out of this world. But on the flip side, every story that I can find that features selfless generosity Through that generosity, more and more life, more and more beauty, more and more grace, more and more hope is breathed into this world. A life that is, not that getting is bad, but a life that is purely motivated only by getting, while it might make me feel good and feel secure, while it might make me look good on the outside, a life that is only about getting what I can for me, that ultimately will rob me of true living. Whereas a life of giving gives life. Now, I just firehosed you with a whole lot of Bible. I watched as everyone picked up their Bibles like we normally do, and they're like, oh, he's going that fast. Okay, I'll put this back down. (laughs) But my guess is you didn't actually need 20 verses to show you that generosity gives far more than money. You didn't need me to show you 20 verses for you to know what generosity actually gives beyond just the finances. Because you probably have a story or an example, you probably have some kind of experience of being on the receiving end of some kind of generosity throughout your life. For me, when when I was in my early 20s, I I was just getting started doing this type of work as kind of like a preacher, Bible teacher. And I had recently left a career that early on in my life I had found a lot of success in and it was a career that I thought I was gonna be doing forever but then I felt God kind of calling and inviting me in this different direction. And so in those days I would travel around and I would speak and I would teach literally at any church, any conference, any youth group or youth camp that would have me. And one night I was down in Maryland and I was at a church and I had just finished teaching a youth group of about 10 students when, as I was leaving, one of the parents of one of the students, he came up to me, he thanked me, he said, hey, thanks for coming down, thanks for teaching, hanging out with our students. And as we finished up our conversation, he, he did that dad thing where he hid something in his palm and he, he kind of snuck it in with the handshake. I don't know why dads do this, it's the least subtle thing in the world. <laughs> Everyone knows what you're doing. But, but he did that to me, and, and so I, you know, I took it, and I went back to my car. And as I got in my car, I opened up this envelope that he had slipped me, and inside of it 
was a check for $2,000. And especially at that time, that was a game-changing amount of money for Aaron and I. Because at that time, what that father didn't know is I did not have a job at that time. What that father probably didn't realize is I had traveled down to Maryland on my own dime to teach those 10 students. And I just sat in my car and I was utterly flabbergasted that someone would be that generous to me. And let's be really clear. That father might not have realized this, but in that moment, his gift gave me life. And it wasn't just financial life. Sure, that check was literally going to help Aaron and I pay our rent that month, 100%. But even above and beyond that, his gift gave me the encouragement and the hope that I needed to keep walking down this path that I felt God was calling me on, this path of teaching. I might not be here today if it were not for his life-giving generosity in my life. And again, you probably have a story like that. I can see some of you. I can see it in your eyes. You're remembering a time that someone gave you a gift and it meant far more than just the dollar amount to you. And so I guess my question is, don't you also want to be on the giving end of those kinds of gifts? And you might not have $2,000 that you can just write and slip into a handshake. I get it. Not all of us have that. But my guess is you have something. My guess is you might have as much as that poor widow had. My guess is you might have as much as that young boy with a lunch had. And so you can give something, believing that on the other end of that, God is going to use your giving to not just give money, but to give life to this world. That ultimately is why we practice giving here as a church. Why we do giving in our gatherings every single week, it's not out of some religious obligation. It's not because we're here trying to buy our way into favor with God. Let me be clear about one thing. God loves you whether you give to a church or not. Why we practice giving is because we want to be the type of community that is all about giving life to this world. So we give at Soul City to give life to this church. We give so that we can continue to have gatherings like this. So we can continue to have fun and transforming experiences over in Soul City Kids. So that we can continue to meet short and long-term needs through our House of Hope. There are members of Soul City who are facing desperate, difficult situations right now. And your giving through House of Hope, it gives them life. But it's not only that. We don't just give to give life to Soul City. We give to give life to our city, the city of Chicago. Something you, you probably don't know is this past week, a local school used this very auditorium to host an event that encouraged and equipped 150 Chicagoland teachers this week. A, a, a profession that desperately needs encouragement. Teachers are in that room who... We're on the brink of potentially quitting. But because of your generosity, we're able to pay for a building where we're able to host 150 teachers who through a day of training, through a day of encouragement, they were given new life in their careers. But it's not only that. We don't just give to give life to our city. We give to give life to this world. A lot of you heard about the earthquakes in Syria and Turkey a few weeks ago. Jarrett mentioned this briefly last week, but I thought I'd color it in a little more. Because of the consistent and faithful generosity of this church, as soon as those earthquakes happened, we were able to immediately respond and send $4,000 in relief 
to the people affected there. What that does, that buys food, that provides water, that provides clothes, blankets to families and individuals who are at the center of that crisis. These are names that you will never know, Soul City. Faces that you might never see, but these are real human beings who a few weeks ago potentially lost everything and your generosity gave them something. It didn't just give them a blanket. It gave them a sign that says, someone out there sees me. Someone out there cares. And here's the really interesting thing, I think. When you get the gift that is giving, for those of you who, who give generously, you know this. When you give, it doesn't just give life to the person who's receiving your gift. It also gives life to you. Like when I just told those stories about how God uses the generosity of Soul City Church to bless this church, this city, and those around the globe, those stories hit those of you who give here differently. Like if you're a person who regularly gives here at Soul City Church and you hear me talk about earthquake relief, you hear me talk about the way that we use this room as an opportunity to encourage Chicagoland teachers, doesn't that encourage you to know that you were actually a part of that? Like God actually used your gift. You weren't just like writing a check. You weren't just doing this online and then it just disappears. But God is actually using your faithful generosity to breathe and give life into this church, into our city, and around the world. And hear me, I know, I, I've been around church for a while, and I have been hearing sermons about giving for more than half my life. And if I'm honest, for a lot of my walk with Jesus, I really viewed giving as an obligation. Like, it kind of fit in that category for me. Like, okay, this is probably something I need to do, or at least this is something I should do. Like, if I'm gonna be a part of a church, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, this kind of comes along with it. It's, it's part of the obligation. Especially in months where money felt a little tight, sometimes it wasn't even an obligation. Sometimes it felt like an obstacle. Like, I got to get over this, and, and then I can do the things I really need to do. But for me this week, as I was kind of diving in and reminding myself of all of the ways that God uses the generosity here at this church to give life into this world, as I remembered the story of that dad in Maryland who gave me that check, I was reminded that giving, giving is not an obligation, but giving is actually an opportunity. Like, it is an opportunity for us to take part in some of the most beautiful, some of the most transformative, some of the most redemptive work that God does in the world through the church and in the world Giving is our opportunity to play an active part in that. And so, hear me, with no obligation, with no guilt, no shame, no strings attached, I just want to invite you to entertain that opportunity. And so we are going to kind of finish our time together by doing two things. And the first is to do that practice that we do every single week. We are going to practice giving together as a church. And again, because we do this every single week, sometimes it can go in one ear, it can go out the other. But today, I just want to invite you to really consider what would it look like for you to lean more into a life of giving than you currently are? Believing that on the other end of that giving, God is going to give life to you and to this world. For some of you, 
it will be to start giving here at Soul City. There, there's a lot of folks in this room. You, you've been attending here for a while. You've been around our church for a while. You've seen, you've heard about some of the work that God does here. Giving is a way for you to play an active role in that. It's a way for you to participate in some of the transformation that God does in and through and outside of our church. And so right now our host team, they're gonna come down and they're gonna pass the buckets and you can give in that way. But especially if you're new to giving here, a way that I would encourage you to do it is to scan the QR code that's gonna be on the screen. And what this does is it helps you set up giving online. And why online I would encourage it is because it's much easier to make it a, a regular practice online. My wife and I, we've set it up to where we give every two weeks as paychecks come in because we wanna be in the practice. We don't just wanna give because one day we felt motivated. We wanna be in a regular practice of leading a generous life. And so as the buckets are being passed, as the you know, QR code is on the screen, however you decide to give today, my hope and my prayer is that for those of you, especially who are starting to give to Soul City, that as you go, God would begin to open your eyes to all the ways God is using your giving to give life, not just to this church, but all around the world. And you should also know there are hundreds of folks, I know so many of you, maybe even the majority of you in this room, you already do that. You already faithfully, consistently give to the work that God does here. And I, we are so grateful for that generosity. We can't do what we do without your giving. But it is also my hope that for us, as the people of Soul City, that we would not just be people who give to a church. That's beautiful and that's amazing. But I think the thing beyond that is that we as the people of Soul City would become truly generous people. And so my invitation to all of us this week is would you just keep your eyes open for opportunities for you to lean into a life of giving? Would, would you just keep your eyes open for who or what is God placing in front of you where in this moment, I can lean in to give. Whatever it is that I have, where in your family or maybe with your friends, at your workplace, in the drive-thru, wherever it might be, where and how can you lean into a life of generosity, believing that on the other end of that, God is gonna use it to give life and hope and beauty and goodness to this world and to you. And so the last thing I want us to do together is we're just gonna sing again that short little hymn, I Surrender All. Because ultimately, all that we give comes from a God who has already generously given to us. Like this is the God who literally gave us life. This is the God who gave his life for us so that we could have new life. And if this God has given us everything, then who are we to not at least give a portion back to the work that this God does in the world? Not because God needs it, but because we need it. We need to be people who give life to this world. And so I want to invite you to stand if you're able. And Julian is just going to lead us through this hymn one more time.
God, that's, again, that's what we want to do. We don't want to hold anything back from you because we trust that you're good. We trust that you are trustworthy. We trust that you are faithful. And so, God, we surrender all to you. And, God, we ask that you would empower us to be generous people. We know that the natural flow of our culture, oftentimes for me, the natural flow of my own mind and heart will lead me to only focus on myself, to only focus on hoarding or how much I can get. God, by your spirit, would you just break through that? And God, lead us on the path that leads to life, which is a life of giving. I thank you for all that the people of Soul City have taught me about what it means to be generous. God, thank you for the ways that they have been so over and beyond generous to me. And God, once again, I just pray that you would empower us to be people who give and that through our giving, we would see you giving life all over this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.